this isn't just love and hearts and chocolate. You can't build a high-performing team unless you also address the underperformers. And underperformance usually takes, you know, a very specific flavor. Like it's very rare that someone fails in all dimensions because they probably wouldn't have gotten into the team to begin with. This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. You know, if somebody had told me 20 years ago that I would love sales, I totally would have laughed in their face. It definitely has been a skill that has taken me some time to master, but I love, love, love the process and the conversations that I get to have with women and helping them become just better entrepreneurs in general, regardless of whether or not they work with me. And my guest today, Helen Finucci, who is a MIT-trained engineer and works for Microsoft, is no different. She is an incredible woman, and we dive into how to build better sales teams and why loving your team up is really crucial to their success. So Helen has built her reputation and career managing teams responsible for billions of dollars of quota. She developed the Love Your Team system of sales management over a 25-year career, and has worked with top tech companies, including Apple, Sun Microsystems, IBM, and currently Microsoft. You might want to check out her new book. It just came out on Amazon and I believe everywhere where you can buy a book. Love Your Team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. And you can also check out her podcast under Love Your Team as well, where she focuses on retaining top talent and building high-performing teams. Even if you're not managing a huge sales team, or maybe you are the salesperson still in your business, there's a ton of value in this episode because it's really about creating high performers, whether it's yourself or the people that you're working with. So there's a lot of moments that you can take snippets and implement them in your life and in your business. Helen, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. We were just chatting before I hit record and we were talking about sales and really allowing your team to take over some aspects or not all aspects of that so that you can scale. So share with everybody a little bit about you and then let's talk about sales. We've been out for a while. It's been, I think, months since we've had any conversation about sales on the podcast. And I know that it's one of the things that freaks even salespeople out. (laughs) Gosh, I started my career early on as an engineer and then moved into marketing and sales I remember when I had my first leadership you know, management position, 
I thought my job was to tell my team how to do their job. And I realized that was wrong thinking. And my job was to specify outcomes and results expected and let them figure out how to achieve those results. And that was an important lesson. And yeah, I picked sales because I, as a focus for my book and my work, because I am passionate that sales is a key to company growth and valuation. And, you know, when I early on, when I was in Silicon Valley and I was an engineer, I decided to go into sales because I wanted to help companies use technology or adopt technology for business value. And that has been a theme throughout my career. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this is what I'm curious about. So it too is, there's several things, but I see salespeople as being very people-oriented and engineer being more data-driven. How have you mixed both together? Because there's definitely a place for both. Yeah. Well, you know, I consider myself a rows and columns kind of gal. I love spreadsheets and data for sure. (laughs) Fundamentally, business is about people. Whether you're in sales or you're an engineer, you've got to communicate your ideas, sell your ideas, build trust and relationships. And that permeates throughout an organization. Those skills permeate throughout an organization. So I use data to inform how I'm doing, how my team is doing in delivering results. But I also use data to checkpoint kind of soft goal expectations I have of the team. So for example, I expect them to get higher in the organization and broader that, you know, know who the executives are that matter and the decision makers. And so, you know, quarterly we'll sit down and we'll have a kind of a, a customer org chart and a relationship status. And we'll look at, okay, where do you want to go next? How can I help you? Who do we know that knows a new executive that might have come in? So that's, in a sense, data looking at relationship status and having a deliberate intention around building stronger relationships with the customers. Mm -hmm. So data can take many forms for sure. It can. I love it. I mean, I love both because I think having really fun conversations and people are just, we're weird. (laughs) <laughs> getting to know different people and their quirks and what you know what their likes and dislikes are and how to solve their objections and their problems so that they can have really cool outcomes is fun for me. But I do love me a good spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know we'll probably get to the book, but I structured oh, the yeah. book using data myself as a I did you know research on myself because I thought okay, well, at the core, what do I do as a sales manager? And it's about having conversations with my team and supporting my team. And so I mapped out, okay, what are the common conversations I have and how much time do I spend focused on each? And so my book has 17 essential conversations that sales managers need to have with their team. You know, I start out with 25 and then I consolidated. Yeah. And so that's kind of, I guess, engineering data-driven approach to breaking down the job of a sales manager and then talking about in a book. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the book. I mean, the book's Love Your Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid World. It was just published, right? Yes. It came out November 1st. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a big lift, but super proud of it and super proud of the, you know, the receptivity and the 
kudos I've gotten. It's been gratifying. Yeah. I can only imagine because it's like giving birth. I've mean, not read or not authored a book yet, but having coached several people and some of my friends have written books and been published. It's like, that's a project. It is. Yeah. That's huge. So what was the catalyst for writing the book and why love your team? Yeah. Good question. So I felt like I had a positive message in terms of there was a lot of churn and disruption with, you know, the great resignation in the summer 2021 and, you know, 4 million people leaving their jobs every month. So I was giving a keynote at a conference. It was the first in-person conference I had been to, you know, sort of towards the end of COVID, although I don't know that we're really out of COVID yet, but it was July of 2021 and it was for sales leaders. And my topic was sales management in the hybrid world. What does it mean for sales leaders? And so when I got to, you know, the slide I was creating on retaining talent, I thought, okay, support your team, you know, care for your team. But what was authentic for me was to use the word love your team. Because mm-hmm. for me, I feel like that's the sentiment managers need to have with their team in terms of all the things that they do on behalf of their team and to amplify their team's success and support them. And I was really nervous using the love word in a business conference. And I said that to the audience, like, you know what? This is kind of makes me nervous, but I really think this is an important sentiment that managers need to have. And I got such great response that I ended up going with it and using Love Your Team as the name of the book. And then I realized that I needed to have a subtitle because it's not a self-help book. And so I put a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. And I designed the book to be a how-to. And my thesis and approach is your team creates your success. Do you know what your team members care about in their own terms, what matters to them? Because, mm-hmm. you know, COVID changed expectations about what matters, flexibility, work-life balance, what have you. And then how are you supporting your team? How are you using your positional power to amplify your team's success mm-hmm. or reduce sales friction? And so I make the focus of my book about the team. And it's literally a how-to guide. Like if you're a mountaineering person and you have, you know, a buddy has altitude sickness, you go to the first aid book or the first aid chapter on altitude sickness. Well, let's say you're a sales manager and you're introducing yourself to a brand new team that you've just gotten a new job. Well, how do you go about doing that in a way that begins to set the tone for the relationship? So that's actually the first conversation chapter is all about how to introduce yourself to the team. I've been on the receiving end of great sales management and not so great. And I can tell you how you introduce yourself to your team matters. And so I felt like I had a message to that was timely and I got positive feedback. So that's why I wrote the book and then how I structured it. Super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's different, right? It is different. And I'm curious for you, like what makes a good sales manager? Because to me, those characteristics and how you introduce yourself, like that carries over to how you're onboarding any new team member, not just you coming into a new position as well. Yeah, it's a good point. So let me, you know, give you more of an example. So introducing yourself to your team. I have three slides. The first one is about me. 
and a little bit about my career and my family life and that sort of thing and some fun facts. And then the second one is my leadership principles and point of view and how I think about what matters, my values, if you will, in leading the team. And then the third one is what to expect from me, like the next step and whether or not you need to prepare for our next meeting and whatnot, which you don't, I just want to get to know you. But then if the team is small enough, I'll have each person introduce themselves and some a fun fact. Then the first one-on-one I have is learning all about them. Mm-hmm. So it's really all about building trust and foundation for a relationship. So when a new team member comes on board, you know, we have them introduce themselves, fun facts about themselves, their career, that kind of thing. And then I also lay out a structure, a cadence of connection and do bi-weekly one-on-ones typically. And by the way, in case sales managers or managers listening to this are thinking, oh my goodness, I have don't have time for that. I did the math. It takes about 15% of my time. If you have a 40-hour work week, 12 team members, it's about 15% of my time. My point is you have time to connect with your team. And actually, it's the most important job that you have because they're the ones that will amplify your success. Mm-hmm. And If you try to do it yourself, you're going to drown and you're not going to be able to scale. Yeah. I would think spending that time, while it may seem counterintuitive for some people, is actually saving you time in the long run because people are going to be bought into the mission and the goal and be more motivated and perform better. Yeah, I think that that's right. And, you know, I have very little turnover on my team and people who do leave, it tends to be for promotions and taking on like three of my team last year got promoted to manager roles. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's right. And, you know, the people have always said people leave managers, not companies. And I know some sales managers really want to kind of press their team members for, you know, where's the next deal or how come your pipeline's not big enough? And there's a pressurized situation. And so I know some sellers have been in fear to tell their manager what's really going on. So I think actually going at putting pressure on your team about deals and revenue is counterproductive. And you actually have missed opportunities that if you were open and willing to leaning in and actually helping your team members, you could probably achieve more revenue and more results than if you're focused on, I don't know, putting the screws on your team members. Yeah, I totally agree with you. How has kind of the hybrid workforce shifted sales and sales management? Yeah. So for one thing, I know there are leaders that want to see their people in the office. And that is a dead proposition. Employees aren't going to stand for it long term. And so short term, maybe you can coerce people to be in the office. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is we used to compete with companies in our you know industry or in our geography. But now... Every company on the planet is a potential competitor for your top talent. And, you know, I like to say that your talent can walk out the door without taking a single step because literally they work virtually. What's also changed is customers are no longer in the office. And so the idea of hiring sellers to be co-located with a customer 
may be useful, but also it may not be useful because customers are more dispersed. So I'm seeing more kind of anchor events where customers might fly in to our headquarters for an executive briefing, or maybe there's customer meetings in conjunction with a conference that a lot of folks are attending. So the dynamic of in-person has definitely in-person customer meetings has definitely shifted to much, much more virtual on a day-to-day basis, which makes locating pretty much any place possible. And I would say time zone proximity is more important than physical proximity. Yeah. Yeah. And how is that changing like top talent? How is it changing where they're at and who they're working for? Well, I will say that top talent can always write their own ticket, that they're in high demand. Yeah. And so one is the expectations of not being in the office if that's what they want. Like I was traveling and met a woman who was executive at a tech company in Silicon Valley, and they were looking to hire another senior executive in the company. And she would not come into the office at all, even though she lived, I don't know, a half hour drive. She's like, look, I'm not coming into the office. And that was like her hard line in the sand. And they were like, well, but we can be so much more productive if we meet once a month and have strategy and whiteboards sessions. So that was her line in the sand. And so top talent can specify where their line in the sand is and what they're seeking. And there's often more flexibility, I think, with Certain jobs and certain organizations, it's kind of a mindset of the culture. So I've seen company or talent gravitate towards companies that are more flexible and those that aren't are losing people even now. Yeah. Yeah. And how can sales managers be more proactive in retaining top talent? Well, first and foremost, get to know your team members, what matters to them. And, you know, for some people, it's career, work-life balance, promotion. There's a lot of different things that matter to your team. Making a lot of money could be super important to some team members and less so for other team members. Mm -hmm. Get to know them on their terms and then build trust and relationship and figure out how you can support their success. So an example of that is, you know, at Microsoft, I work for Microsoft and at Microsoft, we have a whole process for putting together a proposal, getting agreement across key stakeholders, and then going to the deal review board to present the proposal in advance of presenting it to the customer. Because typically there are investments or resources that we're offering as part of the proposal. So I have my sellers do that presentation to our senior leadership team at Microsoft, who has a yay or nay vote, you know, who conducts the conversation in the review. I turn off my video. I'm in the background taking notes so my seller can be present for the conversation. And it does three things. It enables them to have more visibility with executive leadership. It builds their skill set and confidence. Because I want the seller to own the whole job 
I don't jump in at the last minute to do the presentation. And then thirdly, we debrief right away what worked, what didn't work. Do we achieve our objectives? And then what do we need to do differently? And so that's an example of supporting the team, maybe servant leadership. Like I don't know many sales managers that take notes during that kind of a presentation, you know, and a lot of managers want it to be about them and they want to be front and center. And I have a different point of view about what success looks like. I love that. (laughs) It's pretty simple, but it's effective. Well, it is. I mean, I think that's what I love about it is that it's not about you, right? It's about developing the team members to their best ability. And some of that's sitting back and letting them take the reins because it it is. It reflects on who you are anyways. So for me, it's almost like my kids who are finally out of the house. (laughs) Yay me. (laughs) But like they're doing their thing and they're both super successful for as young as they are. And like, I don't need to hear people say, oh, you did a great job because I can just see it. Um, Right. I feel that way with even with my team members, like they're so supportive and so helpful And we have that really cool relationship where they can tell me when I'm wrong. Yeah. And by the way, this isn't just, you know, love and hearts and chocolate. You can't build a high-performing team unless you also address the underperformers. And underperformance usually takes, you know, a very specific flavor, like it's very rare that someone fails in all dimensions because they probably wouldn't have gotten into the team to begin with. But for example, if you're leading a cross-functional team in a large sales organization like Microsoft, you've got to be able to work well across the team and build a a strong culture and have people want to work for you or with you, actually work with you. So it's not just about missing the number or quota. And so if you don't address that as a manager, the top talent's not going to stick around. So that's another element is people want to work in organizations where there's high expectations, but also people who are underperforming or not measuring up are coached and given an opportunity to step up. And if they don't, they're also given an opportunity to leave. But it is an opportunity. Like yeah, it is. And sometimes it's not of their choosing, but I am firmly convicted that if it's not working for me as a manager, it's also not working for them. And I've actually had people come back and tell me I hated it at the time, but actually that was the best thing for me. It doesn't happen very often that you know someone would do that, but because it's not about the person. It's about whether they're able to perform the expectations required of the job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if that person doesn't fit in at some point, it affects the other team members. You bet it does. Totally. And it is painful and very uncomfortable for you, for the person who's being given that opportunity. But people, humans tend to stay where they're comfortable, whether they're doing well or not. And giving them the little nudge to go find something else can as you said, can be really the best thing. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'm totally convicted on that. And I know it's uncomfortable. I don't like it, but it's (laughs) important, required, and ultimately it's the right thing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I think kind of keeping some of that emotion 
I'm going to say in check, that may not be the right phrase or word, but looking at it of what's the best thing for everybody. Yeah. And also being open-minded that people can change. And I have had people work themselves out of a performance situation and learn, grow. I've also had people realize, yeah, you're right. It's not the right fit and change jobs. And that's totally a great outcome too. So it can take many flavors. Yeah. Yeah. I want to circle back to the book. Yes. What's your favorite chapter? Well, I really, gosh, (laughs) I love all my children equally. (laughs) Today's favorite. Yeah, no, I love the first part where it's setting the context for how and why the world has changed and why management needs to change. So I love that part of it. And I also really like my favorite part of the job, which I guess you'd say the favorite, my favorite chapter is the section and the chapters on conversations of strategy. So the 17 chapters are broken into five categories. So there's conversations of connection, which is the first five chapters, conversations of performance, conversations of strategy, conversations of customer meetings, and conversations of internal alignment is the last section. So I love the conversations of strategy because it's ideating, it's helping problem solve with the sellers, and it's kind of whiteboarding. And I really love that. And I don't know how much sales managers do that, but it's so important and it's super fun. So I guess that might be my favorite. Okay. So what are some of the things that sales managers can take away from that chapter? Yeah. So so there's two chapters in conversations of strategy. One is about executive engagement. And so it's pretty common that there's a, you know, new executives, customer executives come, you know, take a new job. And so we're no one knows them. And so how do we navigate to meet them? Who's the bait in the bucket on our side, so to speak, whether it's a new CFO? Can we get our CFO to meet with them? Or maybe it's a CFO of our US business. So kind of strategizing around that and using your positional power and your network to help navigate to get to the right executives. And then there's also, I make the distinction between executive sponsor and then just executive meetings. Because an executive sponsor relationship, you got to really think that through who's the right person in your company that you want to pair with the executive at the executive sponsor of the customer. And what is the outcome? Is it like a relationship, go to market, kind of a marketing or product executive? Is it a finance executive? So there's different things to think through there. And then I would say on this, you know, kind of general strategy, sort of, you know, a catch-all phrase is sometimes it might just be simple things like trying to find the right resource within the company to go meet with a customer. Or maybe your seller has some challenges and isn't comfortable doing a part of the job. How are you going to figure out, one, who can cover for them, but also, secondly, help them build their skills? So it can take a lot of different flavors. And I really leave the agenda of what the issue is to the seller to bring it forward to me. And it usually comes up in a regular one-on-one conversation, but it's a category of conversation I have in the book. 
Okay, cool. How often should sales managers be meeting with their team members? So I recommend once every two weeks for a half hour, 30 minutes. Okay. And I leave the agenda up to the seller. And so I can be most helpful to them. And sometimes I may have things on my agenda. I'll also ask, you know, want to tack on. And if we need more time, we can figure that out. This is not a forecasting and pipeline review. That's a separate rhythm that I have kind of with the team. And it also often will include other people within Microsoft. But in terms of a one-on-one, it's once every two weeks. Sometimes a seller will request more frequently, particularly if they have a complex deal that they're working that's going to close within quarter. And the other time it becomes more frequently once a week is if there's a performance challenge, a performance issue to make sure we're checkpointing and that the right activities are happening and outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, but by and large, once every two weeks. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds like a good flow too. So that there's some balance of what's going on because you never know also like what's happening personally. So with the right. check you can kind of get a feel for some of that. Right. And I also make it very clear that it's fine to kind of do a drive-by, if you will, ping me, you know, on IM or send me a text on my phone and I'll make myself available and try to figure out a time to connect with them. So some folks are more comfortable or do that more regularly than others. But if there's something you know, one of the things I say in terms of a kind of a principle is no surprises. So if there's something happening, either positive or negative, you know, I don't really want surprises. So ping me, let me know about it. Maybe a deal is falling out of the forecast or, well, during COVID, there were all sorts of things. Team members had family members pass away from COVID and, you know, it's just all sorts of things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Unexpectedly, small things that can derail <laughs> you, big things. Totally. So, yeah. I'm curious too, like what's next for you now that the book is out? Well, that's an interesting question. So I love my day job. And I know that people write books and maybe they have a consulting business, but I don't envision doing that. But what I've been, I've had companies or folks approach me on LinkedIn to see if I would kind of do a call with their leadership team and talk about some of the things in the book. And so I've been surprised that, you know, there's folks that are making it required reading for their managers, whether they're in sales or not, and then, or for a sales leadership team. So I do my first one of those kinds of conversations next week. So I do want to be helpful to others and happy to have those conversations. Also, I've been asked to do some keynotes at conferences and do it virtually. I have to say my preference is not really to travel these days. And I want to make sure that I you know, have focus and time with my day job, which is important to me. Absolutely. So... Yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't see changing my life other than, other than it's nice to have the book launched and done. Cause it was kind of a heavy lift. So yeah, that's a huge project. Would you write another one? I don't envision that quite frankly, and knowing how long it takes for material changes to be made. I mean, when people buy technology, the technology is the easy part, the people change, the culture change. That's, hard. 
And so I think my book will have be relevant for a long time to come. Oh, absolutely. And hope that I can also be helpful and relevant. So I'd be happy to, you know, continue to do kind of one-off meetings with leaders. I, you know, thought leadership is one of my areas of focus in my day job. So the one thing that's nice is that the book provides a forum for thought leadership and it also fits into a lot of the things that are relevant with our customer set, like hybrid work and how do we, you know, how do we make sure our employees are engaged? And what about quiet quitting and all of that we've been reading about, which in my mind is a sales management or management opportunity or gap if they're not engaged with their team. So, oh, yeah. I mean, for me, everything that you're talking about, obviously it applies to sales management and sellers, but it really is so helpful in just building a unified team that's motivated and excited about what they're doing, regardless of whether they're in sales or not. So, yes. And I have to say, one of the things I'm proud of is all of the people that did, you know, blurbs and, you know, testimonials that are part of my book, all of them have worked for me in the past. And so I'm proud of that because I didn't want like, I don't know, it's more meaningful to me and personal. Some go back as far as over 20 years working for me in the past. And so that was really, I know, gratifying that they were willing to kind of speak on my behalf and being on the receiving end of my management. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly to have the breadth and depth of that time period. Yes. Your consistency as a leader and your ability to really find the right people, but also bring them into your sphere and the culture that it's almost like you're creating a mini culture within your team. For sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I do think leaders have that responsibility and opportunity to create a culture in their team, even if around them, maybe the company culture is less than ideal. I still think there's an opportunity to do that. For some, it might be more of an opportunity than others, depending on the external or the company culture around. Yeah, so cool. Share with everybody where they can find the book. On Amazon. (laughs) Where else? (laughs) Yes, it's on Amazon. So it's a Kindle version. And by the way, I priced a Kindle at 99 cents to make it accessible to everybody. And then there's a paperback and a hardcover version as well. Beautiful. And we'll have the links in the show notes so that everybody can just click through. And again, the name of the book is Love Your Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid hybrid World. Yes. Which I think that, I mean, the title and subtitle are just brilliant. Thank you. Just sounds fun to read. Thank you. Helen, where can everybody connect with you too? On LinkedIn. Okay. And is that the best place if somebody wants to come have you speak a little bit too for them to... Yeah. People have reached out to me on LinkedIn. That's how I've gotten those opportunities. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today. I really, really appreciate it. And I've learned a lot. Well, thank you. I so appreciate being being your guest. Awesome. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.